Special guest Michael Lev from the Arizona Daily Star joins the podcast to give a deep, super deep dive of Arizona football right now on Wildcat Radio. Wildcat Radio. Yeah, buddy. Welcome back, Wildcats, to Wildcat Radio, a podcast for your Arizona football news, Arizona basketball news, and Arizona recruiting news. Thanks for joining us. This is Brian Conger, the host of Wildcat Radio, and you can follow the podcast for free on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio. Subscribe. You can get every episode, every breakdown of Arizona football. We're going deep dives in the Pac-12. We're doing position breakdowns of Arizona. We're going into basketball. Ton of stuff going on. Wildcat Radio AZ. You can also follow us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ and on Facebook at Wildcat Radio AZ. And we have one of the best guests we've ever had on Wildcat Radio. But before I introduce him, it's time to introduce our co-host, the wizard of statistics, the guru of mathematics. I am terrible with alliteration, but I am joined by Mr. Rob Bauron. What's going on, Rob? Uh, no, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. We have one of uh, my favorite Twitter follows uh, here tonight to uh, to talk Arizona with us. I'm so excited about our guest. He is my favorite person to read, to follow on Twitter. Um, he really has a great handle on Arizona football and has a lot of pedigree too. coming over from USC and covering that like, you know, beautiful program in the Pac-12, kind of at the time when it was at the height of uh, just a national power. And to come over to, to Arizona and to cover Arizona football and to really know the X's and O's and get in depth and no recruiting and just is a, a wizard on on many angles. And that's Mr. Michael Lev from the Arizona Daily Star. What's up, Michael? Um, I don't know if I can live up to that intro. My goodness. Well, <laughs> Thanks for having me. Regardless, I'll try my best. <laughs> hey, man, you, you deserve it. It really is. If you if you don't follow. Tw- By the way, Michael, where, where can people follow you on Twitter? Yeah, well, my Twitter handle is at Michael J. Lev, L-E-V. Um, they can also go to Tucson.com. And we have this this app called the Wildcaster that's free that just it based just our sports stuff, just our U of A stuff. So you don't have to deal with any of the local news from the Tucson City Council or anything like that. Not that that stuff is unimportant. You should know that. Everybody should know that. <laughs> right? But, you know, for, for Wildcat fans, whether you're in Arizona or anywhere in the country, you know, get that app on your phone and all the stories and stuff will appear there. Absolutely. And I have the app and it gives you notifications when new stories come, when new commits, uh, commit to the University of Arizona. They have the Wildcaster podcast on there. So just a really good uh, app in general to follow Arizona football. And and while you're at it, you can follow us at 12 Pack Radio at 12PAC Radio. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, Spotify, you name it. We are there. And it's Rob, it's interesting because We've been teasing the idea of doing research. We're talking about doing research, and now we're head first. Like we have, we have dived in with our clothes on and our cell phone in our pockets into Pac-12 research, and I can't believe that it's already here. But this is the first of our complete twelve-part series delving into each team in the Pac-12, and um, and I'm just really excited about it, Rob. What what do you think about Arizona when you think of Arizona football? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's still, I mean, the conversation still has to center around Khalil Tate, really. I mean, the, even with the new coaching staff and some of the disappointment, I think last year and, and the way the offense showed out and the team not making a bowl. Um, I don't know that there's anyone on the, on the team as of, as of yet right now that still sort of has the, 
sort of, uh, I guess you could say, name recognition Tate does. Um, and I, th- I think people still have some expectations coming into this season that, you know, with a healthy, a healthy year, perhaps, that uh, he might be a difference maker again. Yeah, and I had a question for you, Michael. So one of the great things about having a beat writer is you have your hands in the dirt as much as anybody in Tucson in regards to Arizona football. And there was a lot of talk in the Pac-12 about Khalil Tate's injury and how it inhibited his ability to run. And that's true, but it didn't cover the entire year. I think the first couple games, Tate was healthy and didn't quite run as much as Arizona fans thought that he would. And then at the end of the year, when he did get a little bit more healthy, I'm not certain how, you know, on the spectrum of one to a hundred, how healthy he was, but he certainly wasn't running at the level that Arizona fans thought that he would even further down uh, in the year. Do you, do you know what happened at that point? And uh, any insight into what we can expect in 2019 in regards to uh, not just Tate's ability to throw the ball, but to get on the ground and do what he does best. Yeah, it's it's a really complicated topic. Um, it seems simple on the surface, you know. Kid sprains his ankle, um, can't do what he normally does. But I really think there's more to it than that. I think there's a big mental component to this whole thing um, in a couple regards. One, I think he came into the season planning to be less of a running quarterback and planning to hone and develop his pocket passing skills. Okay. So he had that mindset coming into the year. And I think that um, Kevin Selman and Noel Mazzoni wanted him to become better in that regard as well. But I don't think that they wanted him to completely abandon the running element. And, and I feel like when, as that BYU opener last year was unfolding, there was a lot of chatter on Twitter, message boards, et cetera, to the effect of what are they doing to Khalil Tate? Why are they limiting him so much? You know, they're ruining him, et cetera. Um, and I'm not saying that they're not culpable at all. I don't think the game plan in that particular contest was the best. Um, but it's, it's also not, you know, it's not clear cut. Like they're totally to blame and he's absolved of blame. Like I think, there's, there's, you know, there are a lot, like I said, a lot of factors involved in that, including Khalil's mindset. So we go into game two against Houston. He tweaks his ankle um, in the first series of the Houston game. Not bad enough for him to come out of the game, but clearly limited his mobility in that contest. There were a handful of plays where he normally would have been able to buy time, scramble, maybe run down the sideline, couldn't really move or get out of the pocket. And this is where I think, you know, Kevin Sumlin might regret, you know, the way that he handled the situation. He probably should have shut Khalil Tate down for the next game against Southern Utah. They could have beaten Southern Utah with any quarterback on the roster, maybe even with me at quarterback. <laughs> um, for that you have game. a good arm, you know, Michael. I know that. I've heard that I, about you. I, I don't know. I actually don't. <laughs> but I could probably just, you know, hand the ball off <laughs> um, to, you know, J.J. Taylor and Gary Brightwell or, or whoever. But um so he plays against Southern Utah, did really well. I mean, he threw for 349 yards and five touchdowns, you know, another win against Oregon State the following week. But the ankle, he, you know, once or twice a game, you know, he would tweak that thing a little bit and be hobbling around. It just wouldn't look right. And I don't know if it got in his head or what, but he said this past spring that, you know, he just never dealt with anything like that before. You know, he had had a couple shoulder injuries, uh, previously in his Arizona career, but nothing that ever hindered his running ability. And I think what's different about him compared to, let's say, let's just throw out Philip Rivers, okay? 
Philip Rivers, you remember, played uh, an, an AFC championship game with a torn ACL. Remember, you guys remember this against the Patriots back in the day? He's my hero. Um, so I'm not going to lie. Nine <laughs> kids. Good man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so Philip Rivers can do that because he doesn't rely on his athletic ability, his explosion, et cetera. You know, for Khalil Tate to not be able to, to do what he's used to doing, I mean, I think that was a big you know, mental hurdle for him to overcome. And, and he's kind of like a track athlete, right? The slightest hamstring, calf, groin, quad tweak for a sprinter you know, really throws them off. It's not something they can just work their way through, you know? And I, I kind of feel like Lotte was in that same boat. And it wasn't until they actually sat him down um, against UCLA uh, and then he can't, well, actually for most of the Utah game and then for an entire week against UCLA, then he comes back against Oregon and Colorado. And even though he didn't run for a hundred yards or 150 yards or whatever, he looked just a lot more like himself. You know, you saw the explosion again. Um, you saw him scrambling downfield and he really started to show signs of the quarterback that he could become in this system. You know, the key, for him, to me, is to get better within the system, but don't forget who you are, what makes you you. And that's the ability to take off and run when the opportunities present themselves. Yeah, and I, I think you and I uh, have had conversations about this I, uh, you know, on, uh, on Tate and that uh, it was really his, his legs that opened up the offense. And that sounds odd because I think everybody sort of thought of Brandon Dawkins as this amazing runner and a guy that couldn't throw the ball, but Tate's an, an uh, even more of a dominant runner than Dawkins was. Um, and, and Tate's running ability really put the defense on its heels and allowed him to find, um, you know, receivers that were able to take advantage of, of the defense focusing in on him. That didn't really work out last year. And uh, I, I'm interested this year because we've, we've also talked about this before that, you know, in, in a Mazzoni offense, you know, he, if he has a mobile quarterback, he'll run him 10 times a game. You know, that's not the 20 times a game, 24 times a game Tate was running under Rich Rod. But, um, you know, what what does the offense sort of look like this season? I mean, I, I think last season Tate's completion percentage really hurt the offense. Uh, his, his reliance on the deep ball really hurt the offense. Uh, in Mazzoni's offense, there's always a check down. I mean, does, does Tate progress enough? I mean, even before we get to the fact that almost all the wide receivers graduated, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but does, does Tate progress enough, um, to, 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 to find the check down in the offense? Um, and does he, does he run enough to, to keep the defense on his heels and, and, and maybe make them focus in enough on him? Yeah, that is the big question. You know, like, what exactly is this going to look like? How often is he going to run? If you look at the game logs for the past two seasons, he only hit double digits in rushing attempts one time last season. One time. And that was against uh, USC. He had 13 carries. He had 13 or more carries eight times in 11 games the previous season. Right. So pretty big difference there. I don't think he needs to run 13 plus times a game. I think if he's in the nine to 11 range, let's say, I think that's that's fine. But what he needs to do is, you know, pull the ball out once or twice early in the game on his own replay to keep the defense honest. And then it's those it's really those situations where the lanes are open for a scramble on third down. 
where at times last year it seemed like he was hesitant. And I don't know if that was the injury. I don't know if that was a quote unquote you know, business decision, you know, to avoid getting hurt or whatever the case was. But those are the ones he needs to take. As Arizona football fans know from watching the Arizona defense, nothing <laughs> is more demoralizing, right? Than when the other team converts like on third and long in a situation where you're not expecting it. And those are the ones that I think he really needs to capitalize on. And I agree with you, Rob. The, the completion percentage needs to go up, and I think it will go up if he's a little bit more willing to, to go to the check down receiver, um, pass the ball you know, underneath, instead of always going for the, the hero ball shot down the field. You know, it's kind of his bread and butter play. It worked a lot, and it was beautiful when it did work. Like, he's got an amazing arm, and he's got great touch. Um, but it's just not a sustainable formula to me uh, to be doing that. And I think he knows that. I think Noah Mazzoni knows that. And theoretically, you know, with an entire additional offseason to get comfortable with the system, you know, you should see some progress in that area. Yeah, and I think to run hard. And you can run hard and slide. Uh, you know, th there's just a couple times where he almost kind of jogged to the sideline and went, ah, oh, like that's not what I, that's not what this, this team should be. And, and I totally understand. I think you really hit it on the head when it comes to running. I think Arizona in terms of our tailback has a really good, uh, running back in JJ Taylor and Michael, you were all over him at the beginning of the year. And I was really hesitant. And I think I even tweeted you like, oh, I don't think he's quite there yet. You know, he's five, seven and you were right. Like he was amazing last year. What makes uh, Taylor so good. And for somebody that doesn't like, I was afraid he was going to get hurt just because he's not that typical, like two ten, you know, five, 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 ten, two hundred ten pound back. He's, he's a smaller guy, but was able to stay healthy and really just ran hard. What, what is it about J.J. Taylor that you saw early that, that was really promising and has really shown itself on the field? Well, first of all, when he was a, uh, a true freshman, um, he had a couple of, well, I'd say a sensational six quarters, um, a full game against Hawaii, and then a, about a half plus against Washington, where he looked really good. Like He looked like he could be a dominant running back, and he unfortunately got caught in a pileup against the Huskies you know, suffered a broken ankle and was done for the season. Um, we didn't see quite as much of him as the lead back the following year because they had so many veterans coming back with, um, you know, Nick Wilson and Zach Green. So, you know, he was he was part of a committee. Um, but it was pretty clear to the new coaching staff um, that, you know, he was, he was the guy um, this past year. You saw a big uptick um, in his usage rate. And, you know, what makes him good? Well, he's extremely elusive um, and agile. He's really smart. Like, like he's just kind of one of those all football, all the time, extremely serious uh, kind of dudes. And, uh, you know, as far as his size goes, like I remember one time Mike Riley was talking about um, Jacquez Rogers mm -hmm. um, at Oregon State. And I think the quote was something to the effect of he's short, but he's not small. Like if you ever like, you know, stand next to J.J. Taylor, like he is really solidly built, even though he's probably five foot six. You know, he's every bit of 185 pounds. You know, his, his legs are huge. His chest is big. Um, he's a solid dude. And he's, you know, able to use that to his advantage a lot, you know, as far as leverage goes. Um, low man wins in football, um, <laughs> as we know. And he has, he has used that to his advantage. 
you know, he's not a perfect player. He fumbled way too much um, last year. He knows it. It was one of the first things that he and, you know, the new running backs coach, DeMarco Murray, worked on um, this past spring. Um, I think they're going to change the way that they they um, handle the ball in traffic. I think what they what they said was that it's always going to you know go into the opposite hand from where the defender is, which you know wasn't always the case um, this past season. It seemed like JJ was always had it in his left hand. Um, so hopefully, you know, Demarco Murray, someone who's uh, you know been there and done that as a, as a pro running back. We'll get that part of JJ's game straightened out. Um, and I think he'll just continue to be a force. Um, I'd like to see him even a little bit more involved in the receiving game than, uh, than a year ago, even though um, the running backs were more involved than under Rich Rodriguez. I think there's still, um, there's still something more there. And, and like Rob was saying earlier, there's always a check down you know, baked into every play. And I think that JJ Taylor and Gary Brightwell are nice outlets for Khalil. He just needs to take advantage of them. Yeah. Gardner, Gardner Minshew would always find the check down. <laughs> he would no, for real hero of the podcast. Gar- yeah. No Gardner Minshew's bread and butter was the check down. <laughs> um, and and which- well, it worked great. It for did. him and for them, didn't it? I mean, oh yeah, it's like it's. I don't want to say it's like free yardage, but it's kind of like free yardage sometimes, you know. It's it's like a long handoff if you're doing it right. Yeah. Uh, uh, but you mentioned Gary Brightwell, and this is actually one of the things that I think could get overlooked on this Arizona team coming into this season uh, with Gary Brightwell, Bam Smith. Um, you know, perennial perennial also ran Nathan Tilford. Um, Arizona's got, Arizona's got some guys behind JJ Taylor, uh, you know, coming into the season and, and some proven depth that I, I think that the coaching staff, even though Taylor was a workhorse coming into to last year or coming out of last season, um, some guys that they're, they're not going to be afraid to hand the ball off to and, and give some, uh, give some carries to, um, does Brightwell, I mean, what do you think his, do you think that the coaching staff rides Taylor as hard as they did last season? Do you think that that was part of a, like less comfortable with Gary Brightwell or Bam Smith, or do you think that the, you know, Taylor keeps his high usage rate, even with the useful depth behind him? Oh, and, and Michael, uh, before you answer that, yeah. let me just interject real fast. So just to give our listeners some context. So JJ Taylor had 255 rushes for 14,000 yards. Yeah. 14,000, <laughs> 1400 yards. That'd have been <laughs> awesome. 40,000. Um, and average about 5.6 yards a carry Gary Brightwell, who had a quiet, solid year, 91 rushes for 525 yards and about 4.7 yards a carry and three touchdowns. So definitely did see the field, but like, I figure most people that are listening to this probably didn't see a lot of Arizona games. So wanted to throw those stats out. Right, right, right. I think you might see a reduction by maybe 5%, maybe 10% at the most as far as JJ's touches go. But I think you still want to get him the ball around 20 times a game. Um, And, you know, he got his most work of the season um, in games where most of the time, like they were playing from ahead. You know, Oregon State was 27 carries for 284 yards. Oregon was 30 carries for 212 yards. The Colorado game was kind of a back and forth game, but they were you know, sort of in control for, you know, much of the second half. That was a career high 40 um, carries. I don't think they want to do like 30 carries and 40 carries in back to back weeks, which was the case um, with those Oregon and Colorado games. That's too much. But something like, you know, 20, 22, something in there, I think makes a lot of sense. 
I also think that we're going to see more of the two-back set, um, which is something they did occasionally last year. I don't, I don't have those figures in front of me as far as how often they went to it, but you know, you made a, a you know, brief mention of how you know all of their experienced receivers are gone and they're rebuilding that unit. I think one way to get more experience on the field is to go to two running backs, and that means having J.J. Taylor and Gary Brightwell or J.J. and Bam Smith on the field at the same time. Maybe they're just you know lining up in that sidecar position next to the quarterback. Maybe one of them is, and one of them is in the slot. Remember, Gary Brightwell was a slot receiver his freshman year at Arizona. I think that's a good way to get your best players on the field and more involved and also to take a little bit of pressure off that young receiving core. If they do a dirty wishbone, I'll be so excited. Like <laughs> we'll tune into every <laughs> this guy's on both sides. No, that's, Listen, that's I did not sign up to watch this triple option. Oh, <laughs> 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 um, hey, let's shift to the wide receivers because this is by far the biggest question mark uh, yep. on the offense. You know, Arizona loses basically everybody. Sean Poindexter is gone. Tony Ellison is gone. Shun Brown is gone. As somebody that watches a lot of Arizona football, though, you had, I mean, aside of Sean Poindexter, who was like seven foot two or whatever, you had a lot of guys that were five eleven, six foot. And one of the things that has been exciting about Kevin Sumlin's recruiting, even right now, where he's not recruiting at an elite level and he probably never will be. But, you know, at that next level that Arizona probably needs to get consistently solid, he's bringing to some size. Um you have a holdover somebody like Drew Dixon, who's 6'3", uh, Booby Curry, 6'2", who's a pretty solid recruit that came in. Trey Adams is 6'3". Uh, you have somebody like Bryce Walma that's also a holdover. Brian Castile, who's a holdover. And a lot of these guys have had a year in the system to kind of learn. And are you optimistic about this wide receiving core? Or is this more of a, you know, let me let me take a step back and see what they can do? Coming out of spring, I felt pretty good about things. And then they lost another guy from last year um, in Devon Cooper, who was dismissed from the team for a you know violation of, of uh, team rules. Um, so, you know, that was a guy I thought was a real strong candidate to be a breakout player. Uh, great downfield speed, really good connection with Khalil. So that was a blow. Um, but I still think there's a ton of talent here and there's a ton of options and there's a lot of variety. You know, you mentioned like some of the bigger guys they have. I think another guy to keep an eye on is Zach Williams. You know, he's a, you know, redshirt freshman, um, this year who came in as a tight end, but they kind of call him like a big Y, you know, um, sort of that tweener type, um, that we've seen at Arizona in the past. And he was someone who flashed. Um, during spring practice, um, Trey Adams looked like a vastly improved player to me. He's another guy who's six foot three, you know, around 200 pounds or so. Um, you mentioned Drew Dixon, who's got great size, uh, six three two fifteen. Booby Curry, the freshman uh, from Houston, is six two two oh six and looks really developed for, you know, a first year player. So you like the size, you like the talent. Um, you know, obviously they don't have the reps and it's always different in a game. Um, so, you know, it kind of remains to be seen how those guys are going to fare, um, in those situations. It's nice to have a senior in Cedric Peterson. I think it's like, I think he's an underrated player. 
Um, you know, not like incredibly explosive, but still averaged 14.9 yards per catch last year, um, which isn't bad at all. He had four touchdowns out of 18 receptions, which is a really good ratio as well. I think that's somebody that Khalil can you know, really rely on in third down situations. Well, and, and um, to cover him a little bit more, uh, you had reported that he had a really good rapport with Tate and spring ball. Is that, is that the case? Yeah. I mean, they're roommates or I don't know if they still are roommates, but they were roommates at some point in time. And I think they, you know, they have a very, they have a pretty close relationship. Um, they rag on each other, um, make fun of each other a lot. So that's good. You know, I mean, that stuff really, ma- that stuff really does matter when it comes to the quarterback to me. Like the, those relationships that, you know, he's able to develop with his guys or they're able to develop with him. Um, so I think that is meaningful. Um, do you want Cedric Peterson as your number one receiver? I'm not sure. I mean, to me, he's more of a possession receiver, like a number two guy. And, you know, I think like as far as the ceiling goes that people like, you know, Booby Curry and Trey Adams, um, even some slot guys like Stanley Berryhill and Jaden Mitchell, they might have a higher ceiling than Cedric. But it's it, like I said, it's nice to have a guy um, who's experienced and reliable in a group that's lacking both of those things for the most part. Yeah. I had a quick question and then Rob definitely jump in after this, but you know, Drew Dixon was one of the highest rated players that Rich Rodriguez had brought in, in his time at Arizona and haven't heard a lot. He's a redshirt sophomore now, so it's not like he's been here forever, but I kind of was expecting to hear a little bit more about him coming out of some of these spring practices and it's been fairly quiet. Would you mind just covering him a little bit and kind of what's, what's the deal with him? Is he going to see the field this year? How does he look? Yeah, well, first of all, I think they're going to use a lot of receivers. Like, I think they're going to use maybe eight um, <laughs> in, in some form of approach. You know, if they if they use four on a fairly regular basis, including the tight ends, I think, you know, they're gonna they're gonna platoon those guys, and maybe they'll they'll kind of narrow things down as the season goes along, and they kind of figure out who the core guys are. But you know, I think he's Drew Dixon is definitely in that group. For him, you know, he wasn't a full time wide receiver in high school. You know, he played some quarterback and he played some running back and he also played some receiver. So it took him a little bit of time to learn, you know, the finer points of the position. And that to me is is one of the reasons that, you know, we haven't heard a lot from him thus far. The other reason, you know, as we mentioned at the top of of, you know, this particular topic is they had a lot of guys that they liked last year who had a lot of experience who were ahead of him. You know, he did play a little bit, um, wasn't really involved much as a receiver, did show a lot as a blocker. Um, He was one of the guys who I noticed seemed to be putting in extra work after practice on a pretty regular basis during training camp, which is always a telltale sign um, to me. So um, I think there's a lot to like there. Um, He's come a long way from where he was when he first started. And your worst case scenario, I think he's going to be um, someone who can really help out uh, in the running game and be really physical uh, as a blocker, which is something that's really important um, in this system. And, and Kevin Selman gave a lot of credit to you know guys like Sean Poindexter and you know um, Cedric Peterson last year for their blocking downfield. As as he um, and other coaches have noted, you know those long runs that you know, Khalil Tate had two years ago or JJ Taylor had last year, those don't happen um, if you don't have blocking downfield. And I'm certain that um, Drew Dixon will be an asset in that regard. 
<clears throat> and I think that's true. I, I guess I on, on some of this, I, I do feel like Arizona it has an opportunity to do a little addition by subtraction in the wide receiver core. Um, I mean, Sean Poindexter, we're replacing about four catches a game. So some of these guys, I, I four think big catches, are, Rob, four big catches. Yeah, but they were like, you know, they'd be four touchdowns. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, I, I guess I, I remember the, uh, the, the bowl game against Purdue, Bruce Feldman commented at halftime as Arizona and Purdue were both filing past him into the locker rooms, how small Arizona looked. And I actually had the same thought, but I only saw it on TV, how small Arizona looked compared to, to Purdue, it just a uh, size. And I think one of the areas that this really was, was true was at wide receiver under Rodriguez. Um, Arizona, I don't think recruits at a high, high enough level necessarily where you can just bring in a guy that's, you know, six, three and just plug him in right away. Mike Stoops used to recruit guys and they'd kind of ride the pines for two years and then they'd be developed enough to show up on the field. Arizona has some guys that have been, you know, at Arizona for two years now that have some size. I, I'm optimistic that, you know, hopefully that Arizona, it's, you know, size doesn't just get you open, but that Arizona has some talent that can get out on the field and, and with a little more development from Tate. But is it, Arizona did recruit one of those guys that might see the field though this year in, in Booby Curry. You know, what what should Arizona fans' expectations be for, for Booby Curry this season? I, I, you know, I think that, I mean, I, 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 I'm in the camp, I guess I say, like, you know, the, the whole the whole world is in front of anyone that wants to step forward and play at the wide receiver position for Arizona. You know, just is Curry are we looking at, you know, is would we look at, you know, thirty catches as a disappointment, you know, with all the hype coming in and, and basically no one, you know, no one blocking him from the field. And with the name. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's the, an the extra five name. catches for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was gonna say if he thirty catches would be a really good freshman season to me. For Booby Curry, which it doesn't sound like a lot, but that would have ranked third on the team um, last year. You know, well, that's, that's year where, like they, where they passed the ball a lot more than they did the previous season. Well, so, we're not looking at a, we're not looking at replacing, you know, like anyone on the All Pack, like anyone that made first or second team All Pack twelve, <laughs> right? Like the the whole world is in front of these guys in some ways. Like thirty catches on a lot of team, like on, on a regular Noel Mazzoni or Kevin Sumlin team though, like would hardly register. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I think it, you know, if it's not Cedric Peterson, someone's going to have to step up. I think a lot of people are looking at Curry. Yeah, no, I think they should, because I think he's as close to a plug and play guy, um, as they have, um, in this class, you know, I mean, he's, I think he's their highest rated recruit. Um, um, in the class, maybe him or Bobby Wolf, um, the cornerback, um, both of them from the great state of Texas, where Kevin Selman has done a lot of work and continues to do um, a lot of work on the recruiting trail. Um, what you like about Curry is he came in and didn't seem overwhelmed by the situation. Um, he was able to step in right away, um, you know, taking as many reps as anybody else with the ones, with the twos. He has really nice size. Um, and he had an incredibly productive junior season um, playing with, um, you know, Arizona quarterback now, Grant Gannell. Um, not as much production as a senior because he was a little bit banged up, um, had some injury issues. Um, but if you get, you know, the, the player that you saw as a junior at St. Pius X, and we're talking about 122 catches, 1,576 yards and 18 touchdowns in high school. 
for one guy. Um, so that shows you what he's capable of. Um, I, but, but I agree with you about like that figure of 30. I, th- I think that's, if he, I might take the over on that. Um, but I just think they're going to spread the ball around a lot. I just don't yeah. really see anyone being like the guy, you know, I might be totally wrong about this. It has happened before. Like, you know, maybe someone like, uh, a Stanley Berry Hill, you know, becomes like sort of what Sean Brown was last year. You know, Sean Brown led the team with 64 receptions. He only averaged 10.2, um, per attempt. Um, but you know, that's five plus catches a game. Um, maybe someone like Brian Castile who lost a lot of weight, got in better shape. Um, you know, showed promise as a freshman missed, um, you know, his entire second season, um, because of injury, but it was someone that they really, the previous regime really liked, you know? Um, and like you said, there's a void out there. There's, there's a lot of catches available. If you add up what's missing with, um, Sean Brown, Sean Poindexter, Tony Ellison, um, and Devon Cooper, um, that's, around 150 catches, you know? Yeah. I mean, 64, 42, 29, 18. I mean, those are your top four guys and ties. So um, it, the opportunities will be there for somebody to step up. And I, but I think it's going to be multiple guys who, who end up filling that void. Well, that's fair. And I'd say if Ster, uh, Stanley Berryhill, you know, catches five to six catches a game, Rick Powell will email me like a $50 gift certificate to Starbucks. He loves that guy. <laughs> so like, and, and I think you will see the field. It's pretty exciting. I, I'm, I'm excited about this wide receiving core. It reminds me a little bit of Colorado where Colorado lost um, some really now their production was a lot higher than Arizona's production, but you had that underclass of, of folks and LaVisca Chenault was one of them that was kind of, you know, in camp you, you can kind of see that they were, producing and it could be a solid wide receiving core. And I think that's kind of the case at Colorado. So hopefully that happens with Arizona, but I want to shift. Yeah. I was going to say that no one really knew who LaVisca Chenault was until he became LaVisca Chenault, you know, like he only had seven catches for 168 yards in 2017. And then he you know burst on the scene last year as like, you know, the best wide receiver um, in the PAC 12. I personally don't see anyone on this roster who's at that level. Um, so I think that's maybe one difference between Arizona and Colorado. Like I don't see anyone having the kind of year he had um, a year ago, you know, 86 catches over a thousand yards. And he did that in only nine games, but you never know. I don't know. Maybe Booby Curry will be that guy. You know, I, maybe someone will surprise us. I, I don't see it, but it's, it's not inconceivable. Either. No, no, I, th- I think that's fair. I don't, I wouldn't expect anybody to, to rise to that level, but more just the productivity in general among the, the core. Um, but let's move to the offensive line. We were so worried, Michael, like, like just throwing flares in the air and just throwing rocks through windows to set off the car alarms about Arizona's offensive line last year. And it ended up being pretty good. Like that's a, it was a solid unit. Uh, Joe Gilbert was a really good hire and um, performed his magic and really put together this this unit. And that's what you want your offensive line to be as a unit. Um, this year, I think we have a better lineup of players, but a new offensive line coach and Kyle Devan who came over from Ball State. What did you think about the hire and how do you think this line is going to perform this year? Well, first of all, you're right. I mean, Joe Gilbert did do um, an amazing job last year. 
um, with a unit where there was, you know, some guys that you were counting on coming into the season who were banged up or, you know, they sort of fell out of favor or whatever the case might be, you know, maybe your, your best, most experienced guy, Leif Freck, misses the first two games because of an, an you know, agreement with the NCAA and then he gets hurt and he's just kind of hobbling around for most of the year. So, you know, kudos to Joe. Then they lose him and they bring in, I think, a total home run hire in Kyle DeBan, um, guy with NFL experience, um, college experience as a player and a coach, played with Jeff Saturday and Peyton Manning on a Super Bowl team with the Indianapolis Colts, extremely smart, young, personable, um, real teacher. And I think of, of all the positions, um, you know, the one that where you probably need to have the most teaching, the most development, um, the one that's kind of, you know, I've, I, their, their previous offensive line coach, Jim Holichick would, would call it unnatural, you know, like it's just a lot of unnatural movements involved. You need to have someone who's can really kind of get down into the weeds and teach these guys all of these very specific techniques. And we, you know, based on kind of how they configured practice in the spring, like we had a front row seat to Kyle Devan coaching these guys up. And he just has a really good uh, demeanor about him. Um, it seems like he can really relate to the players well. And while the depth isn't like as great as you would like it to be, I think they have the makings of a really good um, starting unit. Um, and I think that they're going to get really good coaching under Kyle Devan. So moving on to the other side of the ball, one of the sort of bugaboos, I think, I don't think Arizona's had a good defensive line. I mean, going back to the Mike Stoops era <laughs> and, and they lost a guy that actually got drafted. I mean, they, they lost two guys that I think were, were reasonably stout against the run last season. Uh, PJ Johnson being one of them. Um, what, what is the outlook? Uh, you know, they did bring in two junior college guys. Um, I think there's a tremendous amount of excitement among Arizona fans for what Jalen Harris might be this season. Um, although I, I, I sort of feel like we were, we were there last season. Um, why am I forgetting his name? Oh my gosh. Kylan Wilborn. Kylan Wilborn. <laughs> yes. I feel like we were there last season with Kylan Wilborn too, though. Um, and, and he ended up getting passed by Jalen Harris. I mean, what is, what do you feel like the outlook was and the, the feeling around, uh, the defensive line and, you know, coming out of spring and, and maybe as we head into fall and do you think Jalen Harris lives up to what fan, I mean, I think fans expectations are sort of through the roof at this point for him. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot to like as far as the edge rushers go, um, with Jalen Harris being one of those guys and his classmate, um, JB Brown, uh, being another, um, you know, kind of one of the first names that people would bring up about guys who were impressing this past spring was JB. You know, it really seemed like he took his game to another level. They used him inside a lot, which mainly out of necessity, but could <laughs> yes. be could be an could be an asset for them and kind of that you know Michael Bennett type role. You know, the the definite passing situation where you put the smaller guy inside and he's able to use his quickness to get by a guard or center and create some um, interior pressure. Jalen Harris has all the tools to be a star. He's got great length, get off, quickness, 
you know, uses his hands well. It's just always kind of been the battle of the bulk for him. You know, he's got a kind of a wiry frame, and you know, he's spent a ton of time uh, here at Arizona just trying to add muscle to his physique. And I believe he was, you know, in the in the two forties um, in spring before uh, suffering from the flu and lost a little bit of weight, but. There's no reason he can't get up into that like 250 pound range, and if that's the case, and he doesn't lose the quickness and speed that he had, I mean, you're talking about a really good player there. Um, Kylan Wilborn was a disappointment a year ago. Uh, I'm not totally sure still what happened with him. I think part of it is that you know teams got film on him and kind of maybe figured him out a little bit. Um, maybe he added some weight in the wrong places and got a little bit too bulky and a little slower than he was before. Um, I think those were issues. He also had a shoulder, um, that he banged up in that, um, Foster Farms Bowl to end his freshman season. So I'm not totally sure that he was healthy. He might've played too many snaps as a freshman too, and kind of wore him down a little bit, but, you know, having guys like him, and Justin Belknap as second stringers, if you want to put it that way, that's a pretty good situation to be in um, as far as your your edge rushers go. Well, now, yeah, and, and interior of the defensive line, that's a totally different story. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think we'll spend a little <laughs> bit of time there. Um, I think one of the things that Arizona fans, and again, we're talking to a lot of Pac-12 fans, um, one of the big frustrations with Arizona's defense for a while was its inability to get to the quarterback. And it seemed, and I'd have to go back and look at the stats, but just with my eyeballs, it looked like at least with PJ Johnson, Derek Bowles, getting that push up front, the edge rushers were able to have a decent amount of impact. It just at least looked and appeared as if we were putting a little bit more pressure on the quarterback. And you could see that to some extent in some of the numbers. I mean, JB Brown had seven half tackles for a loss. Jalen Harris had four and was kind of a, um, a surprise. And I know Michael, you had talked about him possibly having an NFL frame, um, in the future, which would be really good news for Arizona fans. But the big concern is right up that middle where you did have a push for PJ Johnson. You did have a push from Derek Bulls. They're gone. And now it's, it's Fenton Connolly who's been at Arizona for a while and a couple of Juco guys. So where, where are we on that front? Did you see anything that was helpful, uh, in spring ball in regards to whether or not Arizona could get a push up in the, up in the center of that line? Yeah. Before I get to that, they had 23 sacks last season um, in 12 games. Oh, no. Which was the, the fourth fewest in the Pac-12. I know, as Rob, I'm sure, would, would tell us, sacks are not the be-all, end-all statistic as far as, like, you know, assessing how good a pass rush is. But that being said, when your team leader has three and a half for the season, a tie between J.B. Brown and Colin Schooler, that's just not enough. It's not even close to enough. Yeah, I mean, you got to have at least one guy, you know, in double digits, and probably someone else around seven or eight. So that is a huge issue. Um, and getting to the to the middle of that defensive line remains to me the biggest area of concern on the team. Um, I I like having a veteran 300 pounder in Fenton Connolly coming back. Um, I liked what I saw in flashes, very brief flashes of junior college transfer Miles Tapasoa. Again, big, strong, 300-plus pounder. Um, but the depth is a, it remains a huge concern. Um, you know, Trayvon Mason, another junior college transfer, was supposed to come in in the spring. He didn't. He's supposed to come in the summer. Um, hopefully that will that'll happen. Oh, and no. Everything will go smoothly there. <laughs> That's never, not good. I mean, look, 
until, you know, until they're on campus and, and taking reps. I mean, you just never know with some of these situations. Kane Bradford, you know, his film looks really good. Freshman um, defensive tackle from the Dallas area, but you don't want to have to rely on a true freshman um, in the interior of the defensive line or along the offensive line if you don't have to. Um, Donovan Lye was a great offensive tackle for them last year. Um, the real diamond in the rough guy that they, that they discovered, but you don't want to have to count on that. Um, and at those interior, you know, offensive and defensive line positions where you really need a lot of physical development. They added someone late in the cycle in, um, uh, Kion bars. He came in so late that I don't even know if his name is pronounced Kion or if it's Keon or how exactly you say it, but, um, a, a sleeper. Um, from the San Diego area who had some great issues that kind of, you know, knocked him off of the recruiting radar. Uh, but from everything that I've heard, you know, if his grades had been in line, he would have had, you know, a ton of opportunities. So um, they were able to get him in um, and get him to campus. So I mean, that's a lot of names, but it's almost all new guys, right? Um, so you really kind of never know what you're going to get. I mean, you know, Rob might know more about this sort of thing, but, you know, if you're hitting it at a rate of 50% uh, as far as your recruits go, I'd say that's probably pretty good, right? Um, so if they hit at 50% out of the four new guys that I just mentioned, you're still only talking about, you know, a rotation of three at, at those two defensive tackle positions. Um, I didn't mention Nahe Salunga, a uh, second-year player, um, who, who they like also, but you know, he's kind of undersized, honestly, he's kind of a bulked up defensive end. So is JB Brown. I, I don't think that they want to have to rely on JB Brown as an interior defender. I think they want to be able to deploy him when they want to, you know, as sort of a, an interior pass rush specialist, if they're having to play him inside out of necessity, I don't think that's a good thing. Well, I mean, you're, you're spot on in that like Arizona's pass rush is, is a major part of the problem. I mean, they, they graded out at 75 against the rush and beta rank last season. They graded out at 92 against the pass. And that's not all on the, the leaky secondary, you know, like the, the quarterback has, has had a lot of time uh, when you're, you know, basically since Scooby Ray graduated. But I think that what's interesting too with this Arizona defense in the interior line is in a four, two, five or a three, three, five, you're basically relying on your safeties, uh, to, to handle your outside gaps and your, your interior linemen are supposed to keep your linebackers clean so they can just shoot downfield, uh, and cover up the interior gaps. Does, does Colin Schooler, I mean, it, like they, they had a, they had, they both Colin Schooler and Tony Fields had good years last year. They didn't have sort of, I mean, it's, it's tougher to be an all American than it is to be a freshman all American. Uh, but do they, you know, what do you, what do we expect out of them this season? Like, are, are they, are they going to have a hard time uh, without PJ Johnson there, you know, you know, uh, taking up bodies in the run game? Hold on, hold on. Rob, 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 let's just back up here. Colin Schooler had two, a uh, 21 and a half tackles for a loss. Five quarterback oh, threes, no. two interceptions. He had, he had, a, he had he a great awesome. year. <laughs> he had a great year. He had a phenomenal year in a lot of ways, and it was maybe one of the only standouts on that. You know, real standouts on the defense. Um, you know, but he's you know is is he going to be able to even repeat that? Um, you know, with without PJ Johnson there, sort of you know running herd in front of him. It's a problem, a potential problem anyway. Um, 
you know, that's sort of the domino effect, right? Um, not only just like holding up against the run, but keeping the linebackers clean, as you mentioned, that's kind of the, the design uh, of this particular scheme. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if they struggle at those defensive tackle spots, I mean, it'll hurt the defense as a whole. The way it's designed, you know, Colin Schooler and Tony Fields are the ones who are making the majority of the tackles, right? Like everything's kind of funneled um, towards those guys. They combined for over uh, 200 tackles a year ago. Um, Colin Schooler kind of did everything and was everywhere. Um, he was he was sick um, during the ASU game, which is you know sort of the last memory that Arizona fans um, have of him. Um, kind of you know put a little kind of a black mark on an otherwise great season. There was a couple instances where you know, Manny Wilkins was able to get away from Colin in the open field and kind of set up. Um, some of the stuff that followed there as far as that ASU comeback goes. Um, like I said, he was violently ill that week. It came out later um, that that was the case. But you can also make a case that they used him too much last year and that he was worn down um, by the end of the season. That might have been the case his freshman year, too. So I think what's going to help both him and Tony Fields is that they are pretty strongly committed to platooning a little bit more at that position. They moved Day-Day Coleman, a uh, really promising physical safety, to the middle linebacker position. And Anthony Pandy is like physically as gifted as Colin and Tony Fields, maybe even more so as far as his explosiveness goes. He's in the same class as those guys, um, and I think he's going to play a little bit more too. Um, I think if they can reduce the, the workload on Colin and Tony by, let's say, 15%, Per game, I think they can be more effective players, um, even with fewer snaps. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. Well, that's good to hear. And it's good to be able to, to fill in for <laughs> give these guys some rest. Because I think you're, I mean, and you could see it in the ASU game. Obviously, Schooler was ill, but man, he looked like he was a step behind. Um, but, you know, these guys get tired. Like, they're not superhuman. And it's nice <laughs> to have a little bit more depth on that front. Uh, you know, moving to the secondary here. Okay, in the corner cornerbacks, you have Jace Whitaker. And you have Lorenzo Burns. And so Jace Whitaker was the if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, he's an NFL talent. Is that is that it's kind of the impression that you have? Uh, I, I don't know about that. I'm not sure. I mean, the, the, the challenges he's going to face when we get to that point are he's not like he's not going to run an incredible 40 time and he doesn't have great length either. Um, I think Jace is a really good college cornerback, though. And I think he brings things to the table that were missing a year ago because he was injured. You know, I mean, he played literally one series the entire season against Southern Utah after coming back from a hamstring injury. You know, he injured his elbow, making a tackle, and that was it. He was done. Um, and he's extremely smart. He's tough physically and mentally. He's a great leader. And I think they were missing those elements at times last season. And with him back in the fold – you know, having, you know, been able to take advantage of that redshirt rule um, and using last season um, as his redshirt year, um, I think that it just sort of sets everything else up with the cornerbacks. Like Lorenzo Burns now can become your number two. And you do not have to force these, you know, promising freshmen um, onto the field if those first two guys are healthy and available. Um, what I like about the cornerback unit overall is – like the depth is much greater there now. 
Um, Mackenzie Barnes had a really good spring, topped off by you know, like an MVP-worthy performance um, in the spring game. He's heading into his second year. He has that length that Marcel Yates really likes. Um, Christian Roland Wallace, um, the freshman from Palmdale, California, looked like a keeper from day one um, in spring practice. Was unable to play um, in the spring game because of a hamstring injury. But um, I've said this, uh, I think, uh, in other platforms, but as far as, like, physique goes, his, his body, um, he's got, like, the most impressive and well-developed physique I've seen on a freshman since Juju Smith-Schuster um, at USC. And if anyone's ever seen, like, what Juju you know, looks like up close, I mean, he, he looked like a 25-year-old when he was 18. Um, so I think there's a lot of promise there. Bobby Wolf, you know, if, if – um, Booby Curry wasn't their top recruit um, in this class. Bobby Wolf was. So all of a sudden, you're looking at that position, and there's a lot of guys you like there. You know, there's a lot of talent there, and it was. Oh, it's not been the case the past two seasons at all. Like Chase Whitaker and Lorenzo Burns did all the heavy lifting two years ago, and then the position was just decimated by injuries and other issues last season, um, and really kind of hindered them, I think, at times from taking as many chances as they might have liked in those passing situations. Yeah. And I, I, I was really bummed that Roland Wallace was, was injured because he was a guy that USC tried to get late. Yep. Um, and I was mm-hmm. dying. I was dying to see him in the spring uh, pajama ball activity <laughs> <laughs> semi game. Um, so I, yeah, I was really bummed not to see him, but you, you're right. I mean, I do feel like Arizona landed, with uh, with Roland Wallace and, and Bobby Wolf, potentially, you know, if, if they were, you know, if Arizona's lucky and they don't have to see the field more than four in more than four games this season, you know, potentially three or four year starters uh, down well, the road I, if, I it, think, if it shakes yeah, out. Yeah, I think Roland Wallace is going to play more than four games. Like, I, I think he's going to be the third corner. Um, I think he's going to play in all the special teams units. He might be one of their top returners. He's too good to keep off the field. Bobby Wolf, I haven't seen him play yet. Yeah. I can't say, I don't know, but I'm fairly certain that if he's healthy, um, that Roland Wallace is going to play a pretty significant role, but he doesn't, but he doesn't have to start. That's, that's the thing. He doesn't have that pressure on him. You know, if he's so good that they can't keep him out of the lineup, great, but they don't have to force him in there because they've got these other guys back. Of those and, two and, guys. Oh, I'm sorry. But of right. those two guys, you have Roland, Roland Wallace and Bobby Wolf. Who, who else is in that mix to provide some depth at the secondary? Yeah, well, Mackenzie Barnes, um, who I mentioned, um, who's heading into his second year. He's another guy who probably played more than they really wanted him to last season, and he kind of hit the, hit the wall um, at a certain point, but had a really strong spring. Um, seems to be stronger mentally now um, than he was before. Um, so so that's, that's one. Um, and then Troy Young, who's – doesn't really have like sort of the prototypical cornerback looking body. Like he looks more like a safety. And there was a time, you know, about a year ago at this time where they were flirting with moving him to linebacker. So it's kind of a weird progression. Mm-hmm. The guy who came in as a safety, moved to linebacker. Now he's playing corner, but he's like uh, a bump and run, um, physical straight line, uh, speed kind of guy who can be really effective. Um, if, if put into that specific role, um, he's also, I think, a guy who's going to play on most of the special teams units. So um, if you add him to the mix, plus those freshmen, 
uh, plus those top three returning guys, you're talking about six corners uh, at a spot where like you couldn't, they didn't have more than about two and a half guys that you could rely on for most of the last two seasons. <laughs> and you, you mentioned moving Troy Young over and there are times in the past when I am not convinced that all of Arizona safeties know that what pass coverage was called, but they have an embarrassment and an embarrassment of returning experience and upperclassmen at, at, at safety. Uh, coming into this season, I mean, there's it is to the point where you could really see them like moving Coleman down into to linebacker. They they just they have enough guys that they like uh, coming back this season that I think that they've and they've recruited enough guys at safety that um, they have to feel pretty good coming into the season. I mean, you have you have Scotty Young, um, you know, sort of nailing it down. But who who else you know jumps out at you beyond sort of Scotty Young coming back this season? Well, I think Scotty Young is is in a position to take his game to the next level because he's going to have a full off season, which he didn't have a year ago because yeah. he was suspended for an off the field situation. So um, I think he's going to be a leg up as far as where his game is. Christian young um, second year player, one of the, one of only a handful of freshmen who played, you know, who surpassed that four game threshold um, a year ago, extremely promising um, seems to have a really good instincts, um, hard hitter, uh, one of those guys who's always around the ball. Tristan Cooper um, is going to, again, I think be the the main guy at that spur position, which is a more of an in-the-box safety, almost a third linebacker, but not quite. What I like about Tristan is he just plays the game with an edge. You know, um, I think the, the biggest, most impressive hit of the entire season was the one that he put on Dylan Mitchell of Oregon um, a year ago. Um, in, uh, in that in that game um, in, in late November, um, you know, really impressive stick. And that's just kind of the player he is. Um, he brings that edge, that physicality. Um, and, you know, and those are, those are the top guys. But as you mentioned, they've recruited pretty heavily at the safety position. Um, the depth is decent there. I just think it's time for some of these guys to just make more plays, you know. And, and I think it comes from what you mentioned earlier, Rob, which is the pass rush. Like, if you have a... a, a steady and consistent pass rush where you're putting the quarterback under duress, they're going to make more mistakes and it doesn't always, it's not always reflected in, in sack numbers, but you know, if you're getting QB pressures, QB hits, you know, you're going to get more fumbles. You're going to get more poorly thrown balls into the secondary. And I think guys like Christian young and Scotty M jr are capable of making those plays, but they are going to need some help from their teammates. Rob, you have any other questions before we go into rapid fire? Uh, yeah. Who's punting? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because special teams uh, do matter, and Arizona has been terrible at special teams of late. Um, I think that it's going to be a freshman, um, most the likely. Guy, I think Matt Phoenix. Aragon. Yeah, Matt Aragon is the is the um, sort of the. He isn't even the incumbent because he wasn't really used um, in that role a year ago. But they've spent a scholarship on a punter. Kyle Ostendorp, um, who's going to coming in as a freshman. And they have another one who's highly thought of in Cameron um, Weinberg. Um, and I think most likely it's going to be one of those two new guys. Um, I actually feel pretty good about the special teams unit um, overall for a couple reasons. One, I mean, I think Lucas Haversick, the kicker, has NFL ability, right? Um, certainly in terms of leg strength, as we've seen on you know, the occasional long field goal and, and on his kickoffs. And 
hopefully, you know, he's just in a better place mentally now than, than he was, you know, now that he's an upperclassman who has a lot of um, experience. Um, and I think they're getting really good coaching um, of the special teams. Um, Jeremy Springer just brings a lot of energy and enthusiasm um, to that role. And then a, a lot of what we saw in spring was DeMarco Murray working with the return men. Um, and again, a, a really good hire by Kevin Sumlin, you know, convincing DeMarco to, to hang up his headset, uh, his, you know, one type of headset, you know, <laughs> TV headset for now and put on, you know, the coach's headset. Um, I think he's going to be a real asset in that regard. He's going to coach up those return men. Um, they, you know, they didn't get the punt returns last year that they had the previous season. They did have a couple, um, you know, nice long kickoff returns. Thanks to JJ Taylor. Um, still sort of figuring out what the roles are going to be. But like I said, I think the coaching is going to be really good there. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so, so Michael, where, where again can people follow you and, and follow you on Twitter and read your stuff before we get into three, like totally not controversial questions? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Once again, my, my uh, Twitter feed is at uh, Michael J. Lev, L-E-V. And um, our stuff can be found on the web at Tucson.com. And, and if you want just the U of A sports stories, we have this app called um, The Wildcaster that is free. And download it, have it on your phone. Um, you do not have to be a subscriber to the Arizona Daily Star to get uh, all of our stuff through that app. And it's very good. Again, I can't like I was really I think that was one of the best decisions the star has done in terms of the coverage of Arizona. Very good app. Um, And so I follow basically I have one or two beat writers in every school that if I'm following Pac-12 football and if I were from a different school, Michael Lev would be my go to person. Like your stuff is very good. It's thorough. I love the film breakdown stuff that you do. Like afterwards, you just, you've just been very creative and not only like writing the, you know, stereotypical here's what happened, which are good, but also kind of, you, you look at it from angles that a lot of people don't. And, um, I just can't, can't recommend following him enough. Um, with that said, three, three quick questions. What and, and I didn't write these down for you, so they're but thank you for us. They're not controversial. Um, what would you th- suggest Arizona does to improve its game day experience? What, what's missing? Oh, that's a good one. Well, they did a lot of work on the east side of the stadium already, um, improved sort of the access, um, like expanded the concourses, um, better restrooms. Um, they've added beer sales to the mix. Um, to me, and this is like totally selfish, but I know that there are, are a lot of people who feel the same way. How about some earlier kickoffs? They, they don't have to be like, they don't have to be 12, they don't have to be 1230 PM, but how about like throw us the occasional, like 6 PM or 630 yeah. instead of the 730 or 745. I think that would, that would enhance the game day experience. No, good call. Me. I mean, we knew we brought you on for a reason, Lev. That's one of our, <laughs> <biggest>. <laughs> um, who are a couple of fresh and freshmen outside of Booby Curry and Bobby Wolf that you think will see the field, um, this year? Oh yeah, that's a good one too. Um, well, there's a couple guys, um, who did not participate, um, in spring ball who are, you know, summer arrivals that I've heard good things about. Um, one of them is Jackson Turner, um, who is uh, a safety, um, who's got really good length and athleticism. And another one is wide receiver Jalen Johnson, who's yet another guy with really good measurables. You know, 
Um, talking, you know, six, listed at 6'3", um, 183 pounds. So I think those are uh, a couple of guys uh, to keep an eye on. We obviously we mentioned the cornerbacks, um, who I think are going to play a pretty, pretty prominent role. You know, it's kind of interesting. Very few of last year's freshmen you know, actually used that year of eligibility. You know, it was only a handful of guys, Kenzie Barnes, Christian Young, um, and the third one was Donovan Light. And I think that's it as far as the freshmen went. Hmm. So, you know, Kevin Sumlin and his staff did a really good job of managing that. But then again, you know, those weren't, quote unquote, their players, right? Um, these guys are all their players. They, they know these guys a little bit better coming in. Um, so I think you might see a little bit more usage um, as far as some of the freshmen goes because of that. Yeah, and it seemed like they did a good job of um, – I know that the stars in regards to Arizona's <laughs> recruiting this last class were not as high as you would see in a, a typical Kevin Sumlin recruiting class, but the depth. And I think they did recruit size and the talent pool is, I think, stronger this year than it has been in past years. And then so you covered – USC football kind of at the pinnacle of USC football. And I hope one day it comes back. Like we they think they need to make a few decisions at the top here before that happens. But what was the coolest thing that you saw when you were covering USC football? Well, I saw a lot of interesting stuff, both, both cool and not pleasant either. Um, I mean, some major controversies um, during my time there, coach, coach departures, um, coach firings, um, but a lot of really good football too. And, you know, I, 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 my time on that beat kind of coincided with Matt Barkley's career there. And he was a really, really good, um, college football player. I think it, it's kind of easy to forget, um, how dominant a uh, quarterback he was at times on the college level, because, you know, things didn't, they didn't have as many postseason opportunities under him because of sanctions. Um, he didn't really become the NFL quarterback that people thought, but I mean, there was a time that he was just slinging the ball around to, you know, the likes of, you know, Robert Woods and uh, Marquise Lee and Nelson Aguilar and those types of guys um, in that, in that period where they really had it going. I mean, it was a really impressive passing attack. Um, you could see like tons of, tons of NFL ability, um, on the receiving end of those passes, um, I think they, they put a 50 burger up against UCLA. Uh, the, oh gosh, I probably should look up what, what season that was. That was when Lane Kiffin was there. And I think that was, I think that was Matt Barkley's junior year, I want to say. Um, and you know, at that point in time, you're just like, wow. I mean, you know, this guy, this is an NFL guy. Um, you know, he's probably going to leave after the season. He decided to come back. You know, things didn't exactly go um, the way that um, everyone envisioned that senior year. But, man, that night, it was 50 to nothing was the final <laughs> score of that game. Oh, no. Was, uh, yeah, it was November 26th of 2011. Um, Matt Barkley threw six touchdown passes. He was 35 for 42 for 423 yards. And um, was looking at the receiving numbers, Marquis Lee, 13 for 224 and two touchdowns. Robert Woods, 12 for 113 and two touchdowns. It was just, I mean, it was, it was a brilliant um, aerial display. You know, it was really fun to watch. Um, and it was really kind of, you know, it really showed like, you know, what Lane Kiffin was capable of as far as, you know, as 
dialing up an offense. Like, you know, is he the, the was he the best, you know, leader of men at that point in his career? Probably not, but if he had a smart quarterback and a good batch of receivers, he could put 50 points up on you. And it's so fun to watch a game where your quarterback is just locked in and like it's, it's almost like he can play with a blindfold on. And to have Robert Woods and Marquise Lee on the same field is uh, is pretty special to watch. So um, right on. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time to, to come oh, no, on. We got to do the quick. Oh, we yeah. We got to do the quick over under on beta rank real quick. So oh, <laughs> beta rank. Yeah, beta rank projects Arizona coming to the season, and, and off-season projections in the model are built off of recruiting, your returning production that Bill Connolly compiles and I happily crib off of, um, and how good good you were last year in beta rank. So Arizona projects it, projects at sixty. That's an improvement off of number eighty-four last season. Um, the offense projects at fifty-four. The defense projects to take yet another step forward to seventy-two. But they only project at 5.66 wins overall, expected wins, 3.33 in conference, number five in the Pac-12 South. Would you take the over or under on that five and a half wins? I would take the over. Okay. Um, I feel like they went five and seven a year ago, and there were at least two games that they could have or should have won for sure, the ASU game. Um didn't win some games in the non-con that they that they probably should have. At, le- at least the BYU game, they weren't really competitive against Houston for a variety of reasons. Yeah, we were there. Yeah, yeah we, we were you there. Don't have to remind it was us. Yeah. awful. <laughs> yeah, not not fun. Um, but you know, everything was new. Was it air conditioned in the press box though? It was. Yeah. Then you uh, have yeah. no idea how awful it was. <laughs> because we were not, and I will say, I didn't wear jeans, and someone in our group did, and that person I thought was going to die. <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. That's a mistake. So you know, they went five and seven a year ago with a lot of stuff kind of going wrong. You know, Khalil being hurt, everything being new, offensive line being in flux, injuries, you know, um, uh, in the secondary. Let's say, you know, most of that stuff doesn't happen this year. Um, I think they're certainly capable of uh, going 3-0 in the preseason. And if you do that, I mean, all you got to do is go 3-6 go and six in, the, in the conference and you're beating that projection. What was it, Rob? 5.66? Yeah, five point six six. Yeah, I mean, I I do not think it's unreasonable at all for Arizona to go three and zero in the preseason and then four and five in the conference, and that would put them at seven and five. And you know, just kind of circling back to the beginning of our conversation, I think a lot of it hinges on Khalil Tate. You know, um, he can he's you know at his best, he's just he can be such a difference maker. And if we get some version of the twenty seventeen Khalil Tate, I mean. That that can be the difference between going five and seven and going seven and five, or even better than that. And I think Arizona fans take seven and five. I, I would if if I were. I mean, I am an Arizona fan, so I would I would take that. Um, and then building for the future, like you mentioned, you have a good secondary, you have a wide receiving core, and I think Gary Brightwell. And I just think there's the pieces are there for the team to be competitive in the future, which is I think what you know it's all an expectations game and. Um, I think mine are, mine are pretty mellow. <laughs> so. And besides, and besides Utah, besides Utah and the PAC 12 South, I mean, I don't think there's a sure thing among the other five teams. Yeah. You know, Utah's gonna it's be not nasty. like USC is at that level that I was describing earlier right now. You know, they were no. five and seven as well last year. Uh, and USC's projection is almost entirely built off of their terrific recruiting. Uh, 
I, I ran a, a sort of a modified model where I tried to pick up like the effect of coaching aside from, um, you know, your recruiting and returning production and USC felt like a rock. I mean, they, they, <laughs> the current, the model did not think highly of the current staff. Let's put it that way. Rob typed in Clay Helton and like that big blue screen popped up and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right on. Well, Hey, this was really fun. Thank you for your time. Um, again, any of our listeners like definitely follow Michael. He's excellent. It's really good stuff. And, um, look forward to reading your updates and watching your videos as spring or I'm sorry, as fall camp comes. My gosh, we're almost into fall camp. So thanks again for tuning in. You can subscribe again for free to the podcast. Get every episode we're recording weekly at Wildcat Radio uh, AZ. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, you name it, we're out there. Follow us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ and on Facebook at Wildcat Radio AZ. We'll catch you next week.